Welcome back to the Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about blind spots. Martin was described to me as clueless yet gifted. In my mind, he fell in the category of leaders too talented to lose, but too troublesome to keep. Because his expertise was unique, Martin had been with the company a long time. Complaints about him stretched back years. Any people reporting to him directly had been taken away a long time ago, but he still created disturbances. Most recently, a young female technician had filed a complaint against him. The head of HR had facilitated a meeting between Martin and the tech to discuss her complaint. Martin, who talked more than listened throughout the meeting, repeatedly told the young woman all the reasons she was wrong. The HR leader was discouraged. Soon after that, knowing I had coached disruptive executives for years, she called me. After telling me the story, she asked if I thought Martin might be coachable. I had no idea. I proposed three coaching conversations with Martin, after which we'd stop and assess. Some leaders, when told they're getting a coach like it or not, approach the coaching defensively, which seems like a completely natural response. But when Martin and I met on Zoom for our first conversation, he seemed eager to tell me his story. And maybe, he said, just maybe... I would be able to explain to him what this problem was that seemed to make people upset with him all the time. He wanted me to know he was actually a really nice guy, and I agreed. He seemed nice to me. I asked him to describe this problem that he thought was following him around. He talked a while, but didn't articulate any specifics. I asked what message he had heard from the tech and the HR leader during their meeting. He was vague, talking only about them, not at all about himself. I observed, Do you know what's curious to me listening to this, Martin? It's curious that you know a problem has been following you around, but you can't quite explain it. You're a smart guy. Is it at all odd to you that this problem, this thing that's causing disruption in your life, is lurking in the shadows like some monster in a movie that you can't see? I was learning that talking in straight lines was not Martin's style. It was many moments later that he answered my question. Yes, he told me. Yes. Not knowing was odd. He laughed. Must be some weird gap in my brain. A blind spot, I offered. He rolled his eyes and said, That whole blind spot idea doesn't make any sense if you think about it. If you have a blind spot, the only place it could ever exist is inside your blind spot. Am I right? So how can anyone ever know if they have one? Yes, I agreed. That is such an interesting problem, isn't it? Which is why psychologists have been designing tools to help people reduce their blind spots for a long time. The tool I like most for shining light on a blind spot is from the 1950s. Can I teach it to you? Okay. I said, imagine every person on the planet is walking around inside a teeny tiny house that fits around them like a snuggly. The way they see out into the world is through a big window. Everyone is looking at everyone else through their own window. And everyone looking at us sees us framed inside our own window. Now, 
These windows that everyone has have a name. They're called the Johari window. Does the idea come from India, he asked. I smiled. No, I thought the same thing. But no, it was created here in America in the 1950s by two psychologists, Joseph Luft and Harry Ingham. They combined their first names and came up with Johari. Well, good for them, he said. I continued, everyone's Johari window has two purposes. The first purpose is to reflect ourselves back to ourselves. It's a mirror. And the second purpose is to be seen by others. Not sure I like the sound of that, but okay, he said. I went on, our Johari windows aren't made from glass. They're made from every part of our lives that makes us us. All our experiences and feelings, all our thoughts and beliefs, that's what our Johari windows are made from. For everyone to see, he asked. Ah, it depends, I said. On what, he asked. On which pane of the window we're talking about. He drew breath to ask another question, but I raised a hold-on finger. I continued, we're going to put dividers across the window, side to side, and top to bottom. So one divider splits the window into upper and lower halves. The other divider gives us left and right, and we end up with four panes. He softened his gaze, imagining. I said, thinking horizontally, split in half, top and bottom, that's the second purpose that I talked about, being seen by others. There are many things in our lives that others can see, and there are also many things in our lives that others cannot see. In the top half, we're going to put all the things in our lives that are seen by others, and we're going to call this top half known to others. Everything that we have on display, all our ideas and our behaviors, everything about ourselves that is known to others is in this top half. It sounds a little creepy, he said. Ah, but then there's the bottom half, I said. The bottom half has in it all the things people cannot see. Ideas and information and beliefs that we choose to keep private are on the bottom half of the window. And the bottom half is called unknown to others. So it's known to others on the top, unknown to others on the bottom. What kind of information are we talking about, he asked. Well, it could be anything. How you like your coffee, for example. I am guessing that some people know that about you, but I do not. So for me, right now, that information is hidden from me. It's on the bottom half of your window for me. But for people who do know of that about you, it would be in their top half. So it's things I like and I don't like, he asked. It could be, I said. It could also be your behavior at work. Some people know that and some people don't. Could be your spiritual beliefs. Or how you're feeling today. I mean, people might or might not know any part of you. I don't see a blind spot yet, he said. Oh, you're right, I said. The blind spot doesn't appear until we add the vertical divider. So this gets us to that first purpose, reflecting ourselves back to ourselves. So now we shift from horizontal to vertical, and we drop a divider down the middle. So now we have left and right, and on the left is all your awareness about yourself. It's everything you know about you, how you like your coffee, but also things like that secret that you've been holding since you were a boy, that you've maybe only told one or two other people in your entire life. Everything that you know about yourself is on the left. So the blind spot is on your right, he said. Yes. On the right is where the mirror isn't filled in yet. You get no reflection back from that side. Maybe it's shadowy at best. On the right are things you don't know about yourself. 
What's in there, he asked. Well, it could be any number of things. You know what I see a lot? Some people are really articulate about their feelings. All that emotional information is known to them, so it lives in the left half of their windows, right? The left half is information we know about ourselves. It's called known to self. But I meet other people who don't know their feelings well at all. They can't distinguish between being satisfied and being thrilled, between disappointment and despair. That kind of information about themselves is not known to them. It goes in the right half, and it's called unknown to self. He said, so if I had a blind spot, it would be in the top right pane, right? I was impressed he could visualize the whole model on first hearing. Right, I said. Do the four panes have names? They do, I said. So what's the blind spot one called, he asked. I smiled. Blind spot. It's called blind spot. What are the others, he asked. Okay, the upper right is blind spot, right? Known to others, but not to you. And then the bottom right is unknown to you and unknown to others. That is called the unknown area. What's in that square, he asked. Well, it could be part of your personality that operates unconsciously. Or, you know, it could be a strength that's just emerging, right? That you don't even recognize it about yourself yet, and neither does anyone else. He said, I didn't expect anything good in the unknown area. Why not, I asked. Well, it just seems anything about yourself that you don't know could be used against you. Well, that's an interesting thought, I said. I appreciated Martin's uncensored sharing. I was also willing to consider that that very quality might be contributing to his problem. What are the other two names, he asked quickly. Well, so far we have blind spot and unknown area on the right, top and bottom. Then on the bottom left, we have the hidden area. So these are things that you know about yourself, but other people don't. And in the upper left are things that you know about yourself and everyone else does too. The upper left area is called the open area. And the Johari model says that the goal, especially at work, should always be to expand the open area as much as possible. Wait, he said, are these dividers like sliders? Can the panes change size? I wasn't picturing that. They can, I said. That's why the Johari window can be so powerful. It gives you agency over how big or how small your four panes are. When I use this with teams, we talk about information people can move from the hidden area to the open area. If people can make their open areas bigger, it's better for the team. Well, how, he asked. If you share things you know, it is better for the team. Things like what, he asked. I said, maybe information from a report. Maybe your motivation behind a decision. Goals for a project. Ideas you haven't shared yet. It's always better for a team when things like that are shared. But I don't want people to know everything about me, he said. Well, who does, I agreed. Again, I was grateful for his unfiltered thoughts. I said... I think it's important for our health to know we can choose to keep certain thoughts and feelings private. I mean, that's why the hidden area exists in the first place. Proud of himself, as if he had foiled an attempt to trick him, he said, So, according to this Johari window, you're saying this problem of mine is known to everyone else, but not to me. It's my blind spot. But that's why you're here, right? You're going to shrink my blind spot. No, I said, you're going to shrink your blind spot, but I'm happy to help. How's that going to happen, he asked. 
Well, I'd like to start with hearing some feedback, I said. My understanding is that you've been getting feedback, but the feedback isn't clear yet. Right now, I think your feedback is in your blind spot area. I'd like to give you some tools so maybe you could move it to the open area. That next part of my coaching conversation with Martin about receiving feedback is next month's installment of The Look and Sound of Leadership. Martin's quite the character, isn't he? Do you remember the very first words of the story? I said, Martin was described to me as clueless yet gifted. I use the word clueless about a certain group of people. And it's a group of people who seem to me to lack a particular ability. They seem to lack the ability to think about their own thinking. They lack the ability to go to the balcony and look down on the stage and watch themselves living their lives. They don't recognize patterns, which means they don't have much choice about whether they're going to repeat them or not. All the things that I talk about here on The Look and Sound of Leadership are hard for those people. We're talking about thinking about your thinking, and it is my belief that everyone can get better at it. It's like presentation skills. There is no finish line in this race. Unfortunately, we did not all get the same starting line in life for this race. Not everyone is automatically able to think about their thinking. But whether you can or you can't, I do think everyone can get better at it. And the Johari window is one way to do that. I want to show you how you can use the Johari window to strengthen this muscle that allows you to think about your own thinking. I'm going to give you three tools that all live inside the Johari window. And just so to be clear, I'm not going to be talking about the model itself. I know it can be tough to build a model like that in your head while you're listening to an episode, but I'd love for you to see the model. There's a link in the show notes to a PDF that shows the model. Please go get it. There's also, by the way, a link in the show notes to a PDF about who's coachable. You remember the HR person asking me, is Martin coachable? There's a PDF there that it talks about coachability. I think you might find it interesting. Help yourself. To understand these three tools that I'm going to tell you about, though, you do not have to have the model in your head. Okay, here we go. So I said the three tools all live within the window. What does that mean? It means they're all made from the same stuff. And that stuff is everything about you. Everything you notice, everything you don't, things you say, things you don't say, things you believe, things you don't believe. All of your triggers, your reaction, your language, all of that is what you use with these three tools. So here's tool number one. It's about building a sorting muscle. Imagine something happens in your life. You read an email, you have a conversation, you learn something about someone. Whenever something happens in your life, the event gets registered somewhere in you, right? And if you notice it, you often attach meaning to it. You have a thought or a feeling about it. The first tool, the building muscle tool, is noticing there is data for you everywhere at every moment of your life. Just notice things. This is like going to the gym as if you were building an actual muscle. You are going to notice things as many times a day as you can, and then you're going to come back and do it all again tomorrow plus one more. And you start building the noticing muscle. When you notice things, what do you do with that? Sort. Sort what you notice. And think about which pain of the Johari window it goes in. And you do that by asking yourself two questions about the things you notice. This thing that I notice, is it something 
I know about myself? Well, no, probably it has to be. But the fact that it's an easy answer doesn't mean don't do it because what you're trying to build is the noticing muscle. And sometimes you're going to say to yourself, you know, I don't actually know a lot about that. I might be interested to find out more about that. Is it something I know about myself? That's the first question you ask. The second question you ask, is this something other people know about me? And maybe it isn't, maybe it's not. Either way, the act of sorting makes you think about your thinking, right? The act of sorting gives you distance. It makes you step away from your life for just a second so that it gives you space to think about your thinking. The Johari window is great to help you think about your thinking. And in all honesty, really any model that you use, it could be something like the Myers-Briggs type indicator or DISC, any model that helps you notice and sort your ideas and your behavior, that's you thinking about your thinking, right? So go for it. Okay, that's tool number one, building a noticing muscle. Here's tool number two. Number one was all about going to the gym, right? Like being on the loading dock of your brain. Notice, sort, notice, sort, discipline, put in some sweat, okay. Number two is completely different. Number two is not even in the head, it's in the heart. It's about metaphor. The metaphor of the Johari window can help us think about our thinking in a completely different way. So the metaphor of the Johari window is everyone on the planet is walking around in a little house looking out through their own window, right? The universality of that metaphor was really appealing to Martin. Here's something I find a lot with people like Martin. They know on some level, they know they are upsetting people. They may have a million reasons why it happens, and they may have a giant blind spot about how they're contributing to the outcomes they're getting. But on some level, they know. When I talk with people about this part of themselves, they'll often tell me stories that go back to junior high school. They knew back then they weren't fitting in, and it felt bad. And for most of their lives, they feel apart from others, and it can feel bad. But, but, if it's true that we all have this window, we all have this little house around us, and every one of us has it without exception, well then, Martin and people like him are part of the community now, right? They're not different anymore. The metaphor made it easier for Martin to begin to think about his thoughts. It might be helpful for you too. Here's one more idea. The metaphor made it easier for Martin to consider the mirror part of the window and to begin to think about his thinking. Here's one more idea about the metaphor, thinking about it looking outwards. I think when we look out through our window and we see people like Martin with his own little house around him, imagining him as part of the metaphor, I think it allows you to have compassion for him. It makes him part of the community of humans. But I also know that in the workplace, day to day, people like Martin can be upsetting. And when you're upset, I think it's hard to continue to feel compassion towards that person who is upsetting you. So I want to plant a suggestion with you. When you feel yourself upset with someone, notice it. Notice that you are upset. And use your upset as a cue to remember this metaphor. And be sure to put yourself in the metaphor. You are looking out through your own window. What happens when you do that? 
if you are part of the community of humans along with everybody else, does it soften things? Does it change things? I don't know. But hey, if nothing else, it will make you think about your thinking. And that's the goal here, right? Okay, I've one tool left. It's about using the Johari window in the workplace, and I will tell you all about it right after this month's gratitude. First, thank you for filling out the survey. Wow, there were more responses this month than ever before. Thank you so much. Two of you are going to get an hour of coaching with me. I don't know who yet because the survey is still open as I record this, but thank you all for doing that. Thank you really so much. The next set of thanks goes to all of you who are going to fill out the survey this month because we have one more. We are playing the same game, just a couple questions. You help us shape our site, and two of you get an hour of coaching with me. I just want to say, you know, I'm not a big believer in speed coaching, but every one of the conversations I've had so far, really, people have brought interesting questions for us to wrestle with, and I think in every case, they got a lot out of it. So thanks. It's been a pleasure. You can complete the survey on the Essential Communications website. It's essentialcom. Dot com. It's essential com with two M's dot com slash survey. And the link, of course, is in the show notes. I have been hearing from some listeners that the show has been trending at times. Well, thank you to all of you. Thank you for your ratings. Thank you for linking it in your social. Thank you for forwarding it to others. Thank you all. That's just fantastic. I'm so grateful. And thank you, of course, for writing reviews. That's part of what helps it trend, too. People this month who went onto their platforms and wrote reviews from the United Arab Emirates, El Hafez, from Canada, Raid CG, from the United States, David Lanchard and Chad M. Smith. Nice to hear from you again, Chad. Thanks a lot. I am so grateful that in our busy world, you take time to write messages to me and to write to each other about the podcast. Thank you. I am really grateful. Final tool, Johari window in the workplace. In the episode, I told Martin that I use the window with teams. The goal is to make your open area as big as possible. So how can you do that, right? Now, this is the area that is information about yourself that you know and everyone else knows too. So think about that pain for a minute, that open area pain. It's got a neighbor to the right, the blind spot, and it's got a neighbor below, the hidden area, right? The goal is to expand the open area in both directions, which automatically shrinks the other panes, right? When you expand to the side, the blind spot shrinks. When you expand down, the hidden area shrinks. Different levers are going to move each of those sliders, and they are great in the workplace. Um, listen, they're great in your personal life too. They are for sure. But I do think it's a great teaming tool. If, imagine if you could get your whole team thinking about their thinking. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. So suppose you want to expand your open area downward and you're going to shrink the hidden area. And by the way, I just want to say the hidden area, you know, is not a problem by itself. Hidden simply means other people don't know about it, but you do. That's all it means. It could be any part of your life. And at work these days, it could be things like your marital status or your intention to have children or not, right? That is no longer automatically in the open area. You may choose to keep information like that hidden, and that's your prerogative. It's not a problem. But for a team to be effective, I think hidden areas that relates to the work itself should be as small as possible. Why? Imagine if everyone on the team has big hidden areas. It's inevitable that low trust is going to follow, right? 
When you're part of a team, if you choose to keep information hidden that doesn't have to be confidential, at some point, that might diminish trust in you. On a team, if you misrepresent something, which means you hide it from others, at some point, that might diminish trust in you. And on the other hand, if you choose to share openly about your thoughts, that builds trust. When people know where you stand, trust grows. I understand it might be hard for you to speak up, but you can consciously choose to push down the lower lip of the open area to make it bigger and to shrink the hidden area. If you want to push to the side and shrink your blind spot, a tool to use in the workplace is connection. Think about this. You are going into your blind spot. You are going into an area that is, by definition, murky to you. You will need other people to hold the flashlight and to show you the way. You're going to have to open yourself up to others and ask for their help in order to expand that side of the open area. It means you're going to need to start listening to the feedback that is all around you in your life. And to do that, connection helps. I know in my own life, I had been hearing a certain feedback for years, but could not hear it until I was really connected to the people who told me. When I was married, <laughs> when I was married, my wife and I traveled with an amazing group of people. There were Sometimes there were 30 of us or more, and we traveled together. We did things together for years. I mean, we were there for each other's births and deaths and weddings. I performed the ceremony for several weddings in that group. We had such high trust, it often just felt like mind-melding, and I cherished being with them. One summer, these people told me I was arrogant. I want to tell you, I don't like people who are arrogant. This was hard to hear. I had been hearing that feedback for years before, and I always diminished it, because what I used to think was, I am not arrogant. I mean, if you only knew how hard I work to not be arrogant because I hate arrogance, that is the one thing I am not. Well, that was what I used to think. But when I heard it from these people, these people who I knew loved me, it stopped me. It really did. It allowed me to hear what I had not been able to hear before. And because of them, I set about with real intention to shrink my blind spot when it came to people experiencing me as arrogant. I wanted that out of my life. I turned my arrogance radar on full blast. So I was thinking about my thinking, checking for arrogance as best as I could. And I asked for feedback. The act of asking for feedback creates connection. And connections are going to help you shrink your blind spot. If you want to dig deeper in all of this, I invite you to the archive, and I invite you to sort using four filters. Perception, how you perceive yourself, self-talk, managing yourself, and personal growth and self-development. Again, links in the show notes. I think there are a million episodes you could listen to related to this blind spot idea, but here are my top five. Thinking errors, boundaries, the executive imposter, combating emotional hijacks, and self-awareness and self-management. Don't forget, please help yourself in the show notes to the PDFs, the one for the Johari window, the one for who's coachable, and the link to the survey. It would really help us out. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.